0: Amen. Thank you, Bethany. That was great. If you would be taking your Bibles and turning with me to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19 as we look at, uh, continue to look at Elijah, a man who's human just like us, a man who struggles uh, just like we do. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to look at the first couple of verses here. Let me read these to you uh, and then we'll get started. 1 Kings 19 beginning in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for the reminder of the gospel that we've had this morning. Lord, I thank you for the reminder of the gospel we see in baptism. God, this reminder that we were dead, but now that we're alive, we get to live forever with you. God, I thank you for the washing away of our sins and making us whole and pure in front of you. Lord, I thank you for this reminder of this truth that we have, God, that your grace, your mercy has set us free. God, it has given us a new life and a new purpose. God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning that we'd be strengthened by the gospel, that we'd be strengthened by your Holy Spirit to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would help me to have the words to say and the, the way to express them so that we could hear from you. God, that I wouldn't get in your way, that I would not uh, get in the way of you speaking to everyone here who needs to hear from you. I pray that you prepare our hearts now, God. I pray that you would remove the, the, the things that are between us and you, God, that you would break down those walls, those barriers, those excuses that we want to throw up at you when you uh, give us your word. And I I pray, God, that you would remove all those things so that we can hear from you. And that you would give us the grace we need to do what it is that you want us to do. And God, that your glorious name would be seen and, and heard of and shown in this place. God, I pray that people would come to know you People who are hurting would be restored and healed and reconciled. And God, that we would walk out of here today knowing that we have been in your presence, the presence of the one true king of the universe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so here in the first three verses of 1 Kings 19, we are reminded of the fact that Elijah is a man just like us. He is weak, just like us. And, and I think we're going to see his weakness this morning as we think about the fact that he didn't realize how weak he really was. I think I may have shared this with you before, but um, back in the day, I used to work out. Like, I used to lift weights a lot. That was the thing I did. I haven't, I keep talking about it. I know I've been talking about it like three years since I've been here, but I haven't started back. And I don't know, that time period may have passed in my life as I get older. But, but I used to think I was a lot stronger than I was. And so I had it in my mind. I really believed, out a theory, that if I was by myself, and I was trying to do a weight on a bench press, if it was in, within reason, it didn't matter if I was strong enough or not, that adrenaline would go ahead and get that thing up off my chest. I really believed that. That's how dumb I was. I was this was like 10, 15 years ago, so I've grown a lot since then, maybe. But, but, and so I really believed. I'm, I don't care. I'm going to put all these weights on there, put all these plates on there. And as long as I know I can't have help, I can lift it. That was really what I thought. I mean, like I said, it's kind of embarrassing thinking back on it. So I did. I put all this weight on there. It was, weight, it was more than I had done. I was trying to max out all by myself in this gym, all by myself, no one else around. It was like, the adrenaline will make me get this. And so I lifted it off the rack, and I went down, and it did not move. It didn't even start to go up. Now, you got to remember, I, it's not like I can call anybody. There's no one around. There's no emergency button. And so I spent the next 30 minutes slowly working that, that bar off of me onto my hip. I had like a bruise on my hip for a month at least. And, and, and finally got it to tip over and you know fall on the, the floor and I got it up off of me. But, but at that moment, I realized that simple willpower is sometimes not enough. That there may be a time in life where you come up against something that is more than you can handle. In fact, I would say there will be times in your life. When you come up against things where you realize you're not strong enough, you're too weak to push this off of your chest, and you are stuck. And so I I want to encourage you, as we look at Elijah this morning, uh, this, this chapter, I want us to look at a man who came up to a point who thought, man, I can get through this, I can push through it, and what he found out is that he couldn't. This is a man, a human, just like us, who got down just like we do, Who got discouraged, got depressed, got tired, wanted to give up, wanted to call it quits, wanted to just walk away. Just like us. He's a human, just like us. And the reason why is because he did not realize his own weakness. And so, in these first three verses that I just read, we see what the trigger is. We see what sets Elijah off, what causes him to say, I just want to quit. Remember, last week we looked at Elijah. He faced off against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. There's 450 of them, one Elijah. And so he stands up there and he's facing off the, these people who are worshipping this false God. And he says, whoever is the real God is the God who sends fire from heaven. And so remember, he pours water all over the altar and he says, you know, God send, send fire, you know, consume, show everybody who you are. God sends fire from heaven, consumes everything. The people of God, the, the people of Israel say... The one true God is God. He is the one true God we will worship him. That sounds amazing, right? So Elijah goes and he prays. There's been a three and a half year drought. He goes and prays and God sends rain. So Elijah goes home. And by the time he gets home, he has an email, a text message, a call. He finally gets home. He kicks back on the couch. There's a knock at the door. Not really an email. You get that right. I was contextualizing. But so he, he, he has a knock on the door. Jezebel, the queen of Israel, has sent a servant to him. And the servant has a message for him and his message is this, Elijah, you're as good as a dead man by this time tomorrow. I just want you to know, you're going to die just like all those men that you killed. You are a dead man. Count m- mark my words, you will not survive through the day tomorrow. So Elijah's response is to run away. When he hears this, he's afraid and he runs away. And you know, there's people who will be like, "Oh, you know, Elijah faced down all those prophets of Baal and now he's scared of of one little old lady." God, she's the queen. She ain't coming for an arm wrestling match. She's sending the army to kill him. Like, his life is over if he stays where he is. So when he hears this, he turns and he runs. But he doesn't just run. He's sort of like Forrest Gump. He starts running and he never stops, right? He runs 300 miles. That's a long way. He's got to be a guy that's in shape, right? So he runs 300 miles. and, And he runs 300 miles and he leaves his servant, and he goes on another day's journey. You know, I was, as I was picturing him, I was like, so is this like the, the forest gum just slow and steady? Or is it like, when you all were little kids, when you were walking up to the porch and it was super dark outside, like where we lived, we didn't have outside lights, so it's pitch black, right? And You hear a noise behind you. Did you ever take off running to the porch because you are afraid of what was behind you? Am I the only one who ever did that? Right? And so I think that's probably what's going on with Elijah. He's done everything he can do. It's supposed to be over. The final battle has been fought. He has won. He goes home and he finds out it's not over. There's another battle to be fought. There's another challenge in front of him. The people said that God is God. He got everyone to agree except for Jezebel. You see, what Elijah's learning here is that the weight of changing Someone else's heart is a weight he cannot pick up. Convincing someone else of the truth of who God is and of who Christ is is a weight we cannot pick up. That is a weight only God can lift. That is beyond. It doesn't matter how hard you grit your teeth. It doesn't matter how much adrenaline you got flowing. You cannot force someone else to believe. There's the evidence there, sure. He's told everyone the truth. Everyone's seen the evidence. Jezebel don't care. Jezebel cares about her religion. She cares about killing Elijah. That's all she cares about. And so Elijah here is learning this difficult truth that he can't change people. Guys, you can't change people. That is a weight you cannot lift. That is a weight you cannot pick up. Now, we can share the truth and we can show the truth and we can try to get people to understand. But that is a weight we can't pick up. When people are committed to not believing, they're not going to believe. When they're committed to not hearing the truth, they're not going to hear the truth. And when we try and we put that and we take that responsibility on ourselves, we're putting a weight on our chest that we can never get off. But so let's look at verse four to to continue on here. But he himself went a day's journey uh, into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that this is where we they got their brooms from back then. I don't, I'm just kidding, but anyway. So he sat under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, "It is enough." Now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. You ever been there? It's enough. I've had enough. I quit. This is where Elijah is. He's tired of fighting. Just take my life. I'm no better than my father's. What is he saying? I'm a failure just like everybody who came before me. All these other prophets who came and preached the the word to these people and, and tried to show them who God is i failed just like they have. I have become a failure just like they did. I just want to stop. I just want to quit. And and so he slips off into this spiritual depression of believing that it's all about him and all about what he can do. See, see, look at at verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water and he ate and drank down and lay down again and the angel of the Lord came again a second time notice the angel of the Lord comes to him God is not leaving Elijah alone he's coming to comfort this man who's in this state of depression and discouragement and the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said arise and eat for the journey's too great for you listen to what God is telling Elijah what's ahead of you is too much for you to handle You don't have the strength within you to handle it. I have to provide what you need to make it through this journey. Guys, the journey that we are on is greater than we can handle. It's too great for us. We must have God's support. We must have his energy. Verse (coughs) 8, And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said to him, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. couple of things here. God takes Elijah to Mount Oreb, or at least he gives him the energy to get there. If you think that maybe Elijah went there out of disobedience, I'm not so sure. I mean, God seems to have provided the way. Plus, there's just too many similarities. There's another man who was discouraged. There's another man who God spoke to. There's another man who God met with on Mount Oreb, the the Mount of God. His name was Moses. And he met with Moses in much the same way. I, I really feel like in a lot of ways, what we see here is a picture of Elijah doing what everybody else should have been doing. They were still on Mount Carmel worshiping Baal. Elijah goes to the Mount of God and worships God. This is the trip that Israel should have been making. Forty days and forty nights sounds similar, right? I mean, they spent forty, days in, or 40 years in the wilderness waiting to go into the promised land. Jesus spends forty days and forty nights in the wilderness. There's a say, all these similarities. Elijah is going where the people of God should have went, which is to worship God. He is going to worship the Lord. He's going to meet with God. He is depressed, he's discouraged, he, he's disappointed, everything you can think of. And maybe he shouldn't have went there. But I do know that he takes his concerns to the Lord. He doesn't turn other places with him. He goes to the Lord. He goes to the Mount of God. He goes to meet with God. And he, he lives in this cave. He, he, he takes a nap, he sleeps, he, he eats in this cave. And so God comes to him and he asks him this question, which we'll ask again here in a little bit. What are you doing here, Elijah? How did you come to this moment in your life? Why are you so upset, Elijah? Why do you want to die? How did you get here? Not necessarily in this cave, but here. Where you're so discouraged, you just want to die. And so Elijah tells him, in verse 10, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord. What's he saying? I My, my whole goal in life, God is that these people would worship you and you alone. To be jealous for someone is to say, I don't want these people worshiping anyone but God, and I'm trying to tell them that's who they need to worship. My heart is broken over people who are not worshiping the Lord. He says, I've been very jealous for you, because the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have broken faith with you, Lord. They are not being faithful. They are worshiping all these false gods. They're doing everything you told them not to do. And it's breaking my heart. And he says, they have thrown down your altars. They have stopped worshiping you. They don't even have a church to worship in if somebody wanted to. And the people who were trying to tell them they were doing wrong, they killed. They killed your prophets. They killed the people who you sent to them with your word. And he says, I'm the last one. And they want to snuff my voice out too. They won't listen. They won't obey. They won't repent. And so God, I'm done. I'm finished. A couple of things about Elijah's complaint here, guys that I think will help us understand how we end up where Elijah is. Maybe not on, in a cave in Mount Horeb, but you know, maybe alone in a room or wherever. First thing is, Elijah has forgotten that it's not just about him. Elijah has been trying to lift this weight. You see, he, he thought he could change the heart of the nation. He thought he could change the heart of the people around him. Not just Jezebel, but he thought he could change the heart of an entire nation. He's carrying this entire weight on his shoulders. And when you do that, and when you worry about what everybody else is doing, and you're trying to fix everybody else, you're trying to carry a weight that you can't carry. When you try to fix things that only God can fix, you're carrying something only you can carry. And the harder you strain and the harder you push, the worse it's going to get for you. You see, uh, what happened to Elijah is, uh, to use another uh, weightlifting story, because you know I'm, I'm trying to live in nostalgia this morning, I guess. But, so I, I used to try and lift more than I could lift. And so in order to do that, I don't know if you know anything about weightlifting, but if you're trying to lift more than you can lift, you end up using bad form. You end up using parts of your muscles and parts of your joints and bones that you shouldn't use. And so through the course of many years of having bad form, I, I did something in my rotator cuff, and, and it, it hurt so bad that I couldn't even pour laundry detergent. Like I couldn't, I mean, the little, little, not that I pour laundry detergent much anymore, but this was... You know, back before my wife started taking care of me, back before I met her. So, like, I couldn't even pour laundry detergent brush my teeth. All because I strained too hard over here. This little bitty thing, like washing clothes, was putting me on the floor. Because I had strained too hard, I tried to lift a weight that wasn't meant for me to lift. When you start spiritually trying to lift weights that aren't meant for you to lift, you're going to hurt yourself you're going to get yourself so upset and so worried and so just twisted up inside that the smallest little thing is going to set you off and destroy you. Now understand, what Elijah's going through isn't the smallest little thing. He has an army hunting him. But, but he, he begins to over-exaggerate things. He says, I, I am jealous for the Lord. I'm no better than my fathers. Hear what he's saying. He's saying, I have failed. It was my job to make this work and it didn't. No, Elijah, it's not your job. Your job is to be faithful to the Word of God. It's the people's job to repent. It's God's job to work. And, 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 he, and he begins to continue to over-exaggerate. No one else is worshiping the Lord. No one else is serving. No one else is faithful. God's going to tell him in a moment that there's 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You see, when Elijah got so worked up and so twisted up inside, he made things seem, in his mind, way worse than they really were. Guys, when you're going through a hard time and you're stressed out and you're tired and, and you're not paying attention, things that aren't are bad but not that bad can get really worse in your head. And Satan loves to mess with your head and, and tell you things are way worse than they are. And, and not only that, he says, I'm the only one that's left. He isolates himself. I'm the only one fighting a good fight. I'm it. Now there's a hundred more prophets Obadiah told him about that he hid. He doesn't mention them. Like, there's there's all these different people that are actually faithful to the Lord, but in Elijah's mind, he's the only one left that can do anything for God. Guys, when we start trying to lift weights, we're not meant to lift. We're in trouble. Because we begin to believe that no one can help us. And so we, we quit sharing with the people around us that could help us. We don't admit we actually have weakness. We don't admit we actually have problems. And so they just get worse and worse and worse. Until things spiral out of control, instead of taking things to the Lord, we begin to try to take, take care of things ourselves. And so Elijah says, I'm done, just kill me, finish me off, God, I am done. And so God is not going to be done with Elijah, though. Even though Elijah thinks he's done with God, God's not done with him. Let's look at verse 11. And so Elijah gives him all of these different reasons why he should be so upset. But then we come to verse 11, and, and so he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, uh, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or if you've memorized this, a still small voice. And, And when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so God, he says, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to meet with you. Get up and get ready for me to meet with you. And so you have this huge wind that comes through. It's tearing things to pieces like there's just this intense wind. And then there's this earthquake that's shaking the ground beneath Elijah's feet. And then there's this fire. All these different things. All these very flashy, very powerful-looking phenomena are taking place in Elijah's in front of Elijah's face. And God's not in any of them. He's causing them, but He's not in them. Those are not God. These elements are not God. These things that Elijah's afraid of, these things that Elijah's impressed with, are not God. God shows up in the form of a low whisper. He shows up in a still, small voice. He shows up in a voice. Here's what I I believe Elijah is teaching us or what God is teaching us and Elijah at the same time. We're impressed with big, powerful shows. We're impressed with big shows of God's power, fire coming from heaven. Like, that's the thing we really focus on when we're kids, right? That's cool. God sent fire from heaven. God clamped down the, the mouths of lions. But the truth is, more often than not, God works with a still, small voice. And even more true than that, the worst this, this world has to offer, the worst all these false gods have to offer, are nothing compared to the power of God's word. You see, when Elijah was down, when Elijah was out, when Elijah wanted to quit, God encourages him, not through strong wind or earthquake or fire, it's through reminding him, Elijah, I spoke, and everything you see came into existence. There is none of this flashy stuff that is more powerful than my word. God is saying to us this morning, guys, we we are looking for these great signs from heaven. We're looking for these great uh, shows of power. But the truth is, God has spoken in his word and we can trust his word. If you find yourself at the end of yourself this morning, if you find yourself in these, these hard places, remember, God's word is more powerful than anything else. Simply trust his word. What he says will happen will happen. And so he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then in verse 14, Elijah has to rehearse what he said uh, all over again. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your people with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I think the reason God does that is so that Elijah has to hear himself say it again. Think about what you're saying, Elijah. I want to make sure that you understand exactly what you're saying. Be honest with yourself. And so, so verse 15, let me, let me read through this just sort of quickly and explain to you why this is important. In verse 15 he says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Assyria. And Jehu, the son of Nipchi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaph- Shaphat of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Notice God does not say, you're wrong, Elijah. You shouldn't have done this, Elijah. He says, you're right. These people will be punished, but it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to. You go home, and as you go home, you anoint Jehu and Haziel and Elisha, and they in your place will take care of things. Hear what God is doing. He has given Elijah a a God-sized vision of the future. You see, up to this point in Elijah's mind, he's been looking at at the future through his own eyes. He's been thinking about what can I do? How can I make this work? What happens when I die? And there's no one else to share God's Word. There's no one else to preach God's Word. What happens if Jezebel kills me? What's going to happen then? You see, Elijah didn't run away because he was afraid of Jezebel killing him. Or he wasn't afraid of dying. He was afraid of Jezebel killing him. Because this in some ways would look like a victory for her. He's worried about the name of God. And he's saying, what happens when I'm gone? Who's going to carry on? I'm the last one who can do any of this. And God says, no, you're not. Elijah, don't you understand that I'm even in control over Syria, a nation outside of Israel. Elijah, get a a God-sized view of the future. Right now, your future is uh, contained to your own strength and your own power and your own lifetime. Think past that. Think about God's strength and the ability God has to make all things come to pass. Guys, I I think we take a very short view of our lives. We look at our lives and we can only see what we can do. We only see what our lifetime can accomplish. And God is saying to Elijah and he's saying to us, that's far too short. I have eternity to think of. I have eternity to, to think about. And it is going to be okay and there will be people after you who will serve, uh, serve the Lord and, and continue on this work. And so let me finish out this chapter and then uh, I want to come back and I want to offer a few just application uh, points. So verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. Shows that he was somewhat wealthy uh, and he was uh, with the 12th. Uh, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? In verse 21, and he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So he goes and finds Elisha, right? Not confusing at all. Elijah, Elisha. Uh, and so he goes and he finds Elisha, he anoints him, and Elisha says goodbye to his old life. He kills his oxen, offers them as a sacrifice to the Lord, kisses mom and dad and says, peace out, and leaves and goes with Elijah, and he assists him. He goes and he serves alongside Elijah uh, until God takes him home in, in a chariot of fire that we'll get to look at in, in a couple weeks or so from now. But but, but what I want us to, to do uh, with our time remaining this morning is I want us to think about what it means to have a God-sized vision of our future. The difference between a God-sized version and a you-sized version. A you-sized version is based on your strengths and weaknesses and your lifetime. How much can you accomplish on your own? You're going to be sitting there with a lot of weight on your chest not being able to get anywhere. A God-sized version is unlimited and eternal. Why? Because God can do anything. He can do whatever He wants to do. And so my question is, is what are you focused on? Are you focused on your own strength? The the question or the reminder I want to give you is that the journey is too much for you. Guys, there's things in this life that you're not going to make it through on your own. You need the Lord. You need His strength. Eat the food He is providing for you. He provided literal food for Elijah. He's provided us His Word. He's provided us prayer. He's provided His people to strengthen us. But that's only going to happen when we admit it. When we admit we need help. When we admit that we're not strong enough. So admit it. Don't lay there with the, the barbell on your chest. Ask for help. Ask for the Lord to help and admit where it actually hurts. Don't go to the doctor with a broke finger and be like, No, I'm alright. <laughs> no, actually admit where it hurts. Admit your weakness. This is something that Elijah only learned when he had, when he had lost everything. When he felt like it was all over there's something about pain that reminds us how much we need the Lord. Uh, he, we were talking this, this morning about Paul the Apostle and the fact that, it, well, we didn't talk about this part of it, but Paul, you know, he was a man who had all these different revelations from the Lord and God used him in all these different ways. And he talks about a thorn in his flesh. And he said, I asked and I asked for God to take that thorn out of my flesh and he wouldn't. I asked three times and he told me no. And he said, the reason why is because I needed to stay humble. Suffering has a way of reminding us that we need the Lord. So be a quick learner. Be reminded quickly, right? And so be reminded that you need His strength. Be reminded that the journey's too much. And then also be honest with yourself and be honest with God. God asks Elijah twice, Why are you here? Why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here, John? What got you to this point? Do you feel the way you feel? because you're trusting in the Lord and you're wanting to see His will be done, or do you feel the way you feel because things aren't working out the way you want them to, according to your timetable, according to your own strength? Be honest with the Lord this morning and ask Him, Lord, examine my heart. Make sure that I am not focused on my skills. Make sure I'm not focused on my will. Make sure I'm focused on God's will. Make sure I'm not trying to lift weights that only He can lift. Speak to the Lord and allow the Lord to answer Uh, You in those questions. Ask yourself, you know, what you're brokenhearted over and get this God-sized view of the future. Understand things aren't going to happen the way you want them to. I guarantee you, if I for a show of hands this morning of anyone over 30, maybe even over 20, if you thought this morning, if you knew uh, when you were younger this is exactly where you would be, how many of you would be able to say, I know exactly this is where I'd be right now. Everything's worked out according to plan. We were talking about this, I think, yesterday. And we was like, we never had a plan, so I guess we're okay. You know, but, but I mean, you just kind of do one thing after the other. But, but when we start trying to get God to do things according to our timetable and in our way, it doesn't work. Take a step back, look at the, the situation you're in and ask yourself, am I upset because God's not doing what I want Him to do? Or am I upset because I'm not doing what He wants me to do? Have I so focused on me that I've missed what He's actually doing? See, Elijah was so focused on the negatives, he couldn't see any of the positives. He couldn't see everything going on around him that God was actually doing. When's the last time you took a moment and just said, man, look at everything God's done? Instead of focusing on all the problems, all the Jezebels coming after you, all the soldiers coming after you, all the people not doing what they're supposed to do. When's the last time you started counting all the people who are doing what they're supposed to do? And so, so look past your own lifetime, look past what's right in front of your face and ask yourself, Lord, how can I invest in the future? Lastly, how can I invest in the future? Elijah goes, he anoints Elisha and he begins to train Elisha to take his place. Then when Elijah leaves, Elisha takes his place, he sets up a school of the prophets and God's word is preached throughout all Israel for a very long time because Elijah invested in the next generation. Ask yourself this morning, who are you investing in? How are you looking to make sure that you're investing in what happens after you're gone? Are you taking the long view or are you you taking the short view? What what sort of vision do you have for the future? Are are you worried about what you can accomplish or are you worried about what God can accomplish? Look past who you are and see who He is. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you are walking with the Lord and you're struggling, you feel like, man, I got so much on me, I can't get it off, you're probably right. Ask for help. That's where a spotter. Like, don't go in the gym by yourself and think, hey, if I ain't got nobody around, I can do it on my own. Well, you can't. You're going to get very hurt. You're going to have pain. You ain't even going be able to pour laundry detergent. Sad. Promise. Make sure that you are putting people around you. Make sure that you're, uh, you know, investing in the Lord and, and letting Him pour into you so that you don't get in this situation that Elijah's in. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're not a believer, if you've never trusted in Christ... I want to encourage you that, guys, I I don't know how else to put it, but the, the vision of your future is not good. Like if you're not trusting in Christ, this is as close to heaven as you're getting. If you don't put your faith in Him, you're in real trouble. I want to encourage you to turn from all the things of this world, all the things that tell you this is what matters, and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to make me new. If you would stand with me, and as you stand, we're going to have a, a moment of invitation. Uh, this is a, a time for you to respond to. The-